Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast. And today's guest is special. Dan Chamberlain is one of the best B2B marketers in the world. He is insightful. He is knowledgeable. He will, I think, just blanket you in all of his great information. Um, I was watching Michael as Dan was talking and Michael's like, I am fascinated by this. And at the same time, I don't even know if I can keep up with all this information. Mike, is that about how you felt? Um, yeah, I guess that's a nice way to put it. I mean, he was um, very smart. And if you're a marketing person, this is a guy you want to listen to. Yes. If you're a creative person, you may want to hit Fast forward and go to the next podcast. Um, it wasn't my my wheelhouse. So you did a lot of the talking on this one. I'll just be honest, you know. Yeah. But no, as far as like it was like talking to you, but like in your in your sweet spot, you know, in your wheelhouse of, of information, like what you do really well, um, audience identification, knowing what methods to use, really digging into the to the backside of marketing, you know, it's it's really heady stuff, you know, and not everybody can do it, um, really knows it. I mean, that's why they hire agencies, I guess, you know, when you get to the more complex things. And this was complex. This was like, you know, a very experienced guy with a lot of good information. So but it's also um, yeah. simple. See, I'm going to stop you right there. It's it's complex, but it is simple. He walked through the step-by-step of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. The, the hard part is actually doing it. Uh, so, no, I loved it. I thought it was great information. Um, I think that anybody who is interested in marketing, the steps to it, the strategy of it, um, they are going to love this. All right, I take it back. It wasn't complex. It was just not as um, exciting. <laughs> Well, we didn't talk about design things, but we did talk about strategy. And that's that's what I like geek out on. So No, and I love that part amazing. too. I do, I do. Like I said, I, I do enjoy that part, but I just look at it from a different angle. I'm I'm again that's why you we like do the pretty we do. pictures. No, I didn't say that. Um, but <laughs> we are different people, you and I. That's what we kind of has kept us around so long is because we approach things from different sides, you know. This is it's true. not just one one angle. Um and this was very, very one angle, but um, no, it was interesting um, what they actually do with as far as sustainability and the type of work that they do in the industries that they're in. Um, very, very interesting stuff. Yeah, no, it was great. So to all of you out there, here we go. Without further ado, welcome to the He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast, Dan Chamberlain. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you, Dan. You know, as an agency that focuses on B2B work and as a person that you are, that is the B2B marketing expert, uh, you are one of the guests that I've had circled on my calendar for quite some time. And I'm glad our schedules finally aligned uh, for this to work out. Tell the people, if you will, um, a little bit about where you are, the role you have and how you see B2B marketing. Sure. So... And thank you for having me. Um, it, I'm thrilled we. I agree. I'm glad we finally got it scheduled. It took longer than it should have, so I appreciate your patience. Um, so I am currently senior director of marketing for the Americas region for a company called NG Impact, and we are a division of the global energy company NG, which is the largest energy provider in the world. But what my division does is sustainability consulting and advising and data management. So companies have declared that they're going to reach net zero by a certain time, frequently they don't quite know how they're going to do it. So my people 
help those companies design how they're going to make that happen and then implement the solutions to make it go and so that they can try to achieve those goals. I lead a team of folks who support essentially the Western Hemisphere, so the Americas region. There's eight of us, and we do all of the appropriate uh, business-to-business marketing type things from, you know, if you think of uh, B2B marketing in, in three buckets, the first building awareness. And so we do appropriate awareness activities around social and PR, um, branding type event opportunities and advertising, paid social, pay-per-click advertising, things of that sort. The second bucket, of course, being it once we get people aware of who we are and what we do, we want to drive demand. So that's the next big thing is get top of pipeline. So turn those co- clicks and those contact us forms into top of pipeline opportunities. And then uh, from there, what can we do to help get those deals closed? Because uh, pipeline's wonderful, but revenue is what we're really after, and we can't get revenue if we don't close deals. So my team stays focused on those three kind of macro buckets of create awareness, drive top of funnel, accelerate to close. And if we do that, then we support our business in the right way. Um, so just to kind of give you that, a combined answer of who I am, what, where I'm at today, and my view of, of how we organize around B2B marketing and in the still early 21st century. So how has it changed for you in the past couple of years? I mean, you know, when I look at what we were doing for our clients in the B2B space in the teens, it was a lot of in-person trade shows, conferences, 2020 upended and rear-ended all of that. So coming out of the pandemic and kind of getting back to whatever normal life looks like now, where are you seeing the changes occurring for you? Um, it's funny you say that I've I've been in marketing for close to 30 years now, 20 plus of that in B2B marketing. And I tell my team that each five-year cycle, we've seen more change than we did in the previous 15 or 20 years in in marketing and particularly B2B marketing. Uh, so you're right. The, the turn we all had to make as B2B marketers from really reliant on, marketing in a face-to-face environment as often as we could and selling in a face-to-face environment as often as we could suddenly literally within 48 hours all of it was gone Um, so we were fortunate at my last company we had started to really get into digital as a marketing tactic Um, you know pay-per-click advertising um, intent third-party intent data to drive that um, real account driven marketing. So not only using new tools, but really then focusing that effort at particular organizations and then particular buyers within that organization to achieve that 80-20 rule, right? If rather than blasting everything out to every company on the planet, what is the short list we really want to penetrate and pursue and applying those intelligent tools to that. And we have really good success. And I brought that over here to NG Impact for the last 14 months or so of um, really not just throwing digital in as just another tool and we'll keep doing it the same way, but how do we improve it? How do we target it better in a broad sense, but then also on the, the set of target accounts that we really want to go after? And then as things have loosened up and and come back to the new normal, because it's certainly not 2019 from an event standpoint, events are different. Trade shows are different. 
So what we really do with trade shows and events is one, we reduced the list we were going to do in 2023 from 2022 to really get key partnerships with those organizations as opposed to write a check, show up, set up a booth, scan some badges and hope. Instead, each of these trade shows are components within a broader campaign structure. So we have three to max five, what I call macro campaigns that have those three buckets we talked about earlier of awareness, pipeline, close, but then have the tactics that we all know and love, digital advertising, paid social, organic social, um, trade shows and events, hosted events, right? That's one of the other ways we're really turning things a bit on the in-person piece is not just relying on third parties to get us those events, but hosting our clients in a in a more hosted, more uh, intimate and personal way, whether associated with a trade show or on our own. Um, and then adding on to that, the external communications, right? Public relations, media pitches, byline articles, and then even including in that an internal communications component. I remind my team frequently, internal communications is a is part of an integrated campaign. Make sure the, the organization is aware of what we're doing, both the market-facing people and the non-market-facing people, because they're your best advocates often in the marketplace and can really help drive the external spot. But you have to under they have to know what's going on. You have to communicate with them. But um, I think what 2020 forced us to do is rethink what an integrated campaign looks like mm-hmm. and execute in an integrated fashion flawlessly. Execution, I think, be- has become so much more important since 2020. Not that it wasn't important before, but you have to be on it, right? Because budgets aren't bigger. No. Um, targets aren't going down. The marketplace isn't growing. So you better be good, right? You better, you need to be better than the bad guy at what you're doing to make this work. I'm curious if um, when you talk about, I was looking through your website and when you look at your industries, for example, it's, you know, all over the place. I mean, you have financial, food and beverage, uh, pulp and paper, mining, senior living, technology. When you look at your audience, do you get distracted by the industries or do you try to have a personality profile that overreaches all of them or does it shift back and forth? We try to um, take that long list of industries you identified on our website, which we're also working to shrink, but um, we put them kind of into to buckets. So we really, when you start to really break it down, um, we, there are really three B2B buckets as, as Dan looks at it. Um, I don't know that anyone else would agree with me and, th- and that's fine. But, um, what we really think about is, is organizations who make a thing. So, um, a broad sense of manufacturing, whether that's a discrete manufacturing organization, like an automotive company or a process manufacturing company like CPG or food and beverage or pharmaceuticals, um, or a technology manufacturing because a lot of the issues, especially in the sustainability space that those organizations face are similar. Um, there, there's a supply chain challenge. Honestly, there's a supply chain challenge for any company that makes things outside of sustainability, but within sustainability, it's a massive problem. It's a big driver of scope three emissions for a manufacturing company. Um, and then there's scope, a scope two problem because there's heat and other fuels that 
get used in the process. So we really think of that first bucket, companies who are manufacturing items. The, the second one, companies who essentially sell stuff, whether that's a retailer, so a product that's been made, restaurants, quick serve restaurants, things of that sort. And way, the way we view that is high location count organizations. And that's um, certainly a, a, a consulting advisory opportunity for us in our business. But it's also an opportunity in a service we offer around uh, uh, bill pay of utilities. So if you're a large retailer with 500 sites, your core competency isn't taking those 500 bills, making sure they get paid, comparing them and seeing if you have outliers. We have platforms and capability to do that. And then we can use that information actually to help advise them on energy reduction and, and energy efficiency opportunities. And then the third bucket of that we re, I would really talk about are our service type organizations. So that's where you get into healthcare, universities, governments, and, and folks like that who have a very different sustainability and energy usage profile. Right? They're not they're not a, a high energy usage, high heat usage like a manufacturer. They're not necessarily a high location count like a retailer. So they have a different profile, if you will, and so. To simplify things for my team, we we break it down into those three. Then, as we approach the market with a particular offering, we'll subsegment within that. So, the organizations who sell things might break into retailers, which have a slightly different concern than restaurant quick serve restaurants than hotels do. And now you get into more of a slightly more micro targeting. Um, I remember when I was a young marketer many years ago, uh, a buzzword that was floating around in the in the 90s was markets of one and frankly that's not possible but the way we approximate that is at the industry level so we try to speak the language of the particular industry when we communicate to them whether through marketing materials or, or pr or media um, and we try and get as close as we can with a realistic effort right if i had a staff of 100 we could do 30 different verticals and really hone in on making that happen. But if I had a staff of a hundred, well, I probably wouldn't have a job because we'd be way over budget. So we go with the, we go with the group. And so we do the best we can, right. To really bucket that and then align the appropriate offerings against the challenges that those organizations face. The mantra my, my team I'm sure is tired of hearing is client at the center. So as long as we focus on the client need first and then work our way back to what NG Impact does, then we'll succeed. And I also encourage our marketers and our sellers to not just think about the challenges these organizations face that my company can address, but think of it within the context of the broader set of challenges because they're not making decisions on sustainability alone. They're making decisions on sustainability in the context of staffing challenges and um, supply chain challenges of acquiring the stuff they need to make what their products and increasing rent in, in the spaces where they operate. So if you're not keeping those things in mind, you're going to run into a real challenge because your, your issue may be number three on their list. And if you treat it like it's number one, they're not going to agree. And now you, you create a, a problem where you're not, your message isn't getting through. 
So when I think about, you know, the steps you go through, which I love the way you talk about B2B marketing, it's so different from B2C and yet can have the potential to be so great. Um, so when we, when you talk about that and you start with, you know, identifying the people that you really want to go after and you're calling that short list, what steps are you taking to get inside their heads, their hearts, to learn about them and their pain points and their challenges? Um, t- tell me, I mean, I was going to throw out a bunch of suggestions, but I don't want to answer it for <laughs> you. So what, what do y'all go through? How do you, how do you do that process? So we, we start um, with an ideal client profile effort. So, and that actually will include some of the challenges that we think they're facing. So, you know, um, what we call hard to abate industries or have industrial manufacturing is a key target of ours. So, um, we will step back and take a look at using, we have, a another part of, of our organization that is doing market intelligence. So they're, they're gathering information, both from third party sources and frequently the best research market research you get are the folks who are out in the field having those conversations every day. So there's a, a tool to help collect that information from the folks who are in conversations every day with the client. And then we we sit down and, and work through, okay, as a general rule, an uh, industrial manufacturing company is going to be facing um, this set of challenges to achieve their decarbonization or emissions reduction goals, right? And that, you know, there, it's not, there's no secrets, right? There, there's a, there's high heat that needs to be used in this sort of manufacturing. So there's, there's often a fossil fuel use. So how do we reduce uh, the use of that fossil fuel? Is there an alternative fuel? Is there a, a energy efficiency play that we can do to reduce that? Is there renewable fuels that we can use to, to drive that? Um, and th- then we just kind of work that through. So we know manufacturing companies declare they're going to be net zero by 2035. Um, we know we can help them identify where they are. And then our professionals can understand what the, the key levers are going to be. So manufacturing plants, obviously right at the top, frequently fleets, right? They'll, they'll frequently employ trucks to move things around. So is there an opportunity there? And we work through what, what our professionals know. And we talk to those professionals all the time to make sure we are understanding the challenges that they see in the market the challenges we hear from third-party sources to make sure we bring together the best set of challenges or struggles that we are going to help them address. Um, I have been at this long enough that uh, the um, the naive notion that I know everything has left me about 20 years ago. So we rely heavily on wherever we can get more information, we're going to get that, including, by the way, our competitors' websites, right? Like, it's a great information source. Go digging mm-hmm. around and see what they're talking about and see what's out there. And if we don't think it fits what we do, fine. We won't use it, but maybe maybe we'll do something that that applies or it just helps inform maybe decisions that we make. But the key is to, like I said, client at the center. So start with the client, understand these are the things they do for a living. This is their core competency. That core competency is going to result in these situations and those situations, this is how we would address making those better. And as long as we do that stepwise process, client, challenge, solution, outcome, 
um, then it all works out. As soon as we lose sight of that, um, then the client, we're not serving the client. And if we're not serving the client, then I'm not doing my job. Right. Yeah, and I love your approach on it. You know, when I think about all of the resources out there that we all have at our disposal to go learn more about our target audience, and yet I see so many companies rely on their own insider's view. And I think, but you want to get a bunch of outsiders to to know you. So the insider's perspective, you can't really read that label from inside the bottle. You got to get outside and go find out. So I love the steps that y'all are taking to go through that. When well, you're, you keep um, on, you're always preaching to the choir, basically. You know, if you're saying the same thing over and over to the same people, you're not opening the door to new potential. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like your potential is huge. I yep. mean, everybody is a potential customer of yours at some point, you know? Um, yeah. So wh- why would you just talk to the same people over and over again? Right. So, and it's actually one of the challenges. We have. We're, we're, our space, frankly, is fairly new, right? Companies only in the last maybe five years has this sort of offering become prominent, Perhaps it should have been 15 or 20 or 30 years, but we can have a discussion on on climate change at another time. But um, so even who our buyers are shifts frequently within an organization. Our buyer personas, we're constantly paying attention to that. And depending on the offering, depending on the challenge, it might be somebody in operations tower, it might be in a finance tower, it might be in IT, might be in, at the, the highest levels, the C-suite. And, you know, because one of the the pressures that are driving our, our clients to do something frequently is, is the investor community. So if the investors are shouting, then the CEO is paying attention because that's who that, that person answers to. So um, it's one of the it's one of the big challenges we have from a marketing standpoint is we have to be kind of versatile and flexible enough with our messaging that it resonates with a fairly broad set of buyers um, was, until we you know, get a, in. I was yeah. about to ask you a question on that because, you know, when it comes to messaging, that's something that we kind of do a lot of and is our is our specialty or what we really kind of lean on a lot. When it comes to what you're doing, if you get beyond the political aspects or that I believe I'm saving the planet aspect or just doing what's right aspect, just from a business aspect, you know, like – as a brand and you're worrying about, you know, we talk about brands as emotional connections and how people view mm-hmm. you and perceptions and whatnot, that it's a business decision that you lean on to say that, hey, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna fly that that flag and we're gonna go all in on this purely as a marketing ploy for yourself to say that we are sustainable or we are, it becomes part of your armor, yep. you know, and, and your calling card. Like, where does that all fit into your pitch to people? Yeah, so we, we really talk about three primary market drivers that would push our clients to engage with us and or to try and move that needle. Let's be honest, because it's the right thing to do and for the good of the planet is not in the three. There are some so people that are doing 10. it. <laughs> so there are some people certainly that are motivated that way within an organization, but the organization itself is likely driven by um customer pressure, right? A a B2C organization is often receiving pressure from their own customers. Hey, why isn't this packaging more sustainable? What are the, what are the materials going into this? Are you trying to achieve net zero and reduce your emissions? The second is investors, which I mentioned earlier, there's there almost every company has a set of activist investors who are, are pushing for this and increasing the pressure. But the third and most frequent is regulatory is, 
the EU uh, has a set of, of requirements that they've come out with. There's a proposed set for the SEC. There's um, regulations in 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 the um, in there's sorry not there's incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act and in the Jobs Act that are pushing people organizations to do things because there's money available to go and do that. So um, those are really the market drivers that we focus on to help them. The the brand piece, like their brand piece, we certainly will talk with them about it and and during the selling process kind of help remind them that this is a key thing and it will help them. Most of the time, by the time they're talking to us, they know, they know that, right? If they've come to us, they've made the decision that they understand as part of their, their brand advocacy piece. Um, so we, we really focus on the places where we can really, we can help them. And a lot of that is actually mapping some of that regulatory, some of that incentive, uh, activity to the things that try, trying to accomplish and helping them pay for it. Cause honestly, that's one of the big challenges our uh, companies are facing is, um, to your point earlier, from a commercial standpoint or from a, uh, they still have to pay for these things and, they still want to make money. So how do you, right? how do you balance that? How do you balance paying for this new thing that isn't necessarily core to your business is changing your process is a change management challenge and is going to cost money. So how do, um, how do you pay for that? If you, if in a, in the ongoing predicted recession environment, budgets maybe are getting a little tighter. So that's another place where <clears throat> another challenge that these organizations face is, we know we want to do this. We know it's important that we do it for whatever set of reasons. Now what, how do we, how do we do it and how do we pay for those things that we want to get done? So it's, it's a, I've been in professional services marketing, probably uh, some total of 10 plus years now. Um, and this is very different from public accounting or from it consulting, right? The, the buyer set, the motivation set, the messaging that you have to do, the con- the connection you have to make with the the audience is very different in this space. And it's very interesting. And and the fact of the matter is it's it's good to be a part of an organization that has a mission to try and and reduce the impact of climate change on the planet. You know, I think you kind of hit a point that I always like to talk about around messaging. So I love your approach of it could be and should be we're doing the right thing for the planet, but that's way down on the list because that's not actually a motivator for somebody. So when you're working on the process of determining what kind of messages are going to be motivators and how to craft that message to kind of cut through the clutter and get their attention and resonate, what steps do you recommend people go through um, to come to that right message that's really going to connect? Well, you don't go easy on the questions. Um, Sorry. The, the uh, I think the way to, to, you know, not to be repetitive, but I am. So, but I, to add a twist to that client at the center discussion, I think to me, messaging kind of goes at both ends of the, of the spectrum. So client at the center, understanding the client challenge has to be the first thing you talk about when you're, you're even when you're creating messaging. So here's the industry, right? Say auto. So we understand that automotive organizations have this set of challenges that they're going to have to address and why it matters to them. 
and and map that out and then align that in a matrix with okay which of these challenges to which buyer then what are the cha- what are the things that matter to that buyer if it's a finance buyer then in, obviously you're going to talk about this is going to actually end up saving you money over the long term this is going to actually create an increased profit when you complete this we can make this revenue or cost neutral for you um, and make it so that you don't have to um, go to your CFO and say, we're going to lose two points of margin because we have to, but we still have to do this. We'll help you make, make that happen for an operation buyer in that same setting. We will increase the efficiency of your help, increase the efficiency operation while you're decreasing the emissions of, of what you do, because we'll, because for, 30 years, the person who ran that plant, their KPIs were keeping staff and throughput, right? That's it. Get the product out the door. And now the big bosses are saying, keep the staff, keep the throughput, but don't use as much energy doing it. Reduce your emissions while you're doing it. Uh, Measure how much you're your emissions you're making. Measure how much energy you're using. And they're like, but what about the, the two? Now you added four. So how do we simplify that for that person? Because an operations person wants it simple. I have a a plant to run. I need to be able to run it. Can your organization take these new four things off my plate and do it for me? And I don't have to worry about it. Absolutely. So then the other end of the spectrum to, to the messaging is, so this is all the things they want done and the things that they're concerned about. What do we do to solve that problem? And so that's that bridge and that that kind of knitting together to get to messaging is challenge and solution connected with that emotional tie. Because we're while it's B two B marketing, you're still selling to people. So how do you how do you pull the the challenge and the solution together and kind of the thread that knits it is the buyer is the individual, and you go okay now I understand this is how we're going to convey that. A lot of times that's not in your mass marketing, right? You can't, you can't get to, you can't post a LinkedIn to this narrow of a buyer. So that gets into more of our, our BD space, which is part of my team of making sure when somebody responds to the broader message that we have a clear definition of personas, a clear definition of what that client profile looks like, clear definition of what those challenges are, and um, then tools that that person can use for that one-to-one communication Mm -hmm. to get that meeting and to get that sales qualified meeting set up um, so that we can create an opportunity. Because again, not to be repetitive, but I promise you I'll be repetitive on this. We are here to close deals. Like I told my team at the beginning of the year, our KPIs on marketing are are heavily canted toward driving pipeline. I said, and I will hit that, but we close deals, right? If you're in a professional service environment and you're not focused on um, getting, getting deals closed, you're focused in the wrong place, right? Once it's closed, there's not a lot I can do to get it to revenue and build, but marketing has to hold, I think has to be, um, hand in hand with sales or market development or whatever, whatever you call that part of your organization to making sure we get, we get things, um, over the finish line. A hundred percent. You know, I've always um, seen our B2B clients be very siloed and segmented. And it's always been a frustration for me. And what I'm seeing right now is 
it's having to become this crazy blend and ultimately all answer to kind of this new CRO position that people are kind of trying on for size. But it makes sense because if everybody subscribed to the same theory you're talking about and what really matters is the bottom line, we're, we're driving sales and we're closing deals, then sales, marketing, um, customer service, all the pieces have to work together to make that happen. Yep. 100%. And so the CRO would sit on top of that. Right. And, and that's what you have to be focused on is, um, is creating enough pipeline that the funnel gets to the right number of deals that close that create enough bookings that go to billings to drive revenue. And it's, I may have been accused of oversimplifying, but it's not that hard. Right. Is, Get people aware of what you do, get them to respond to what you're telling them, get them in the pipelines, create a solution around what they're doing, what they what they require, and then get the deal closed and then serve them, right? Again, not something I have control over, but certainly important to me to circle back on the awareness piece is if we don't deliver to clients and do it well, then I don't get client stories and I'm sure neither of you have met a salesperson who doesn't say marketing. We need more client stories. Um, we say that to our clients all the time. We need more client stories for you. And and my response to sales is, I don't own the relationship with the client. Make an introduction. We will get you a client story. Right. So um, because they're right, it is a key part of both the marketing and selling piece. Um but they would not be happy if I just went into Salesforce and pulled up a phone number and called their client and said, Hey, yeah, you got a half an hour. Can we talk? No, they like to own that relationship. You know, you said it just then that you're not oversimplifying it, but it's not that hard. And you listed out the points that I think, you know, any 101 um, marketing class is going to reinforce those same points. And yet I have to tell you, Dan, we talk to companies all day, every day, whether it's in podcast interviews or in our regular real work that don't get it. And I can't figure out if it's because they think too simple means it won't be successful. If they think too simple means that um, they have time and space to cloud it with other things, or it's only simple to the people who've done it day in and day out for decades. And so we understand how to do it in a simple way. But there are so many companies in this country, B2B and B2C, that don't think about it this way. They think about it in these really complicated ways and they don't have a clear handle on it. They can't even tell you who their target audience is. No kidding. Um, The answers that I hear sometimes in the consulting work I do, it is mind blowing to me how far off base people are in knowing who their target audience is. Just start there. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that. I just saw a LinkedIn post where someone quoted the the great story of the engineer who got called in to fix the machine in the factory and he looked at it and checked it and for five or 10 minutes and to pull down a hammer and hit the spot and it started working and he charged them five grand and the owner lost his mind. He's like five minutes for $5,000. And he, he wrote out a bill said $5 for the five minutes to, uh, to hit the spot. $49.95 for 30 years of knowing where to hit the machine with the hammer. I think it's a, it's a it's another thing. And I will admit, when I back to my days as a young marketer, I was like, 
you know, how much do you really learn and how much experience do you really need? It, it matters. It matters. The, um, the 25 plus years of doing this, the, the person who quoted that story used the, the, the term and I, I, I loved it, the, an internal scientific method, right. Is, um, because I've been doing this as long as I have getting from point A to point F, I don't have to chart this out on a, on a flow chart, on a PowerPoint deck. It happens because I've done A to F enough times. Um, so that's part of what, what makes it simpler. Um, but I'll quote another, a really good friend of mine who, who helps me teach drummers and hit one of his favorite sayings is simple. Isn't necessarily easy. And I think, uh, Jackie, that that's where you get to is people confuse simple with easy. And when, so when I say it's simple, it's still really hard to do. And if you overcomplicate it, all you did was make it really even harder and you don't need to make things harder. We're all working hard already. I don't need to work harder to make somebody think I'm working hard. So simplify it, get the core set of steps that you need, know who you want to talk to, know what you want to tell them, know what you're going to offer them to solve their problem and then go do it and repeat, keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And because the other problem you have is that you know, marketing is a, a lot about timing is we may be saying the same thing over and over again, all year long in our campaigns and getting the same but in March, the buyer at this particular organization was like, yeah, no, 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 not right now. And they delete the email. But in September, something has changed. And they, they read it and they say, oh, this matters to me now. So that's the other thing you have to be careful of. Is, and I love this when people try to push back because we did that messaging in March and it was successful. Why are we going to do it again? Why are we continuing with that? because there are more buyers out there right so and the, the the issue is still there the challenge is still out there so if it matters and if it's a good message and it's a good solution keep telling people because they're still out there to buy it you don't you don't have to shut this off and start something new right. um one of the terms i use my with my group is um the concept of evergreen campaigns like to me, a campaign is not a six week thing. No. It's, and there are campaigns at my last job. And I've been at this current, this job for 14 months. There are campaigns I started at my last job that are still running. Sure, some of the content swaps out because the world changes, but it, you should build a campaign that's structured around an issue that is of such import to your potential clients that you never stop it. It, it you just, you change it out because a government regulation has changed or the economy has shifted or a new solution has come out or a new opportunity is created, but the core of it needs to maintain. And, and because it's what you do, right? You didn't, the world didn't completely change. It did in 2020, but it, it's the core of what you do remains the same. And if you try to change what you do and who you are, you're not going to succeed. Marketing is not a short-term investment. You don't pay, you don't do marketing for four months and go, we did it. We did marketing. Now we can stop for a while. <laughs> Let's start again. 
Um, it's a it's a constant. The, you build awareness by continually being in front of these people. It's it's a, the same principle for media relations and external communications, right? We keep a drumbeat going because a reporter, similar thing, in March may see what we do and go, eh, not that big a deal. I don't really care. They see another thing in in April, still not. But then we send something in May, and they're like. Well, this one interests me and I've seen you guys. So I'm kind of familiar with who you are. Maybe I should pick up the phone mm-hmm. and we've seen it work. So what do you think is the average of touches, uh, whether it's media, like you were just referencing or um, customers or even potential employees? I feel like in the past it was less and now it's a lot more, maybe because there's more noise. So where do you think is kind of like the sweet spot of how many touches it takes to cut through that clutter? Um, well, that's, I, I really hesitant to try and attach an average sure. to that because I promise you, we have clients in the pipeline that it was one or two. Mm-hmm. And then we have others that it was 18 and 24 months of <laughs> drip emails, scan at a trade show, saw an article. Um, I think we generally look at the average, I, I think isn't quite to double digits yet, but mm-hmm. it's getting close. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, what it, it used to be a, at least three times for even to know who you are is the old adage. I'm not sure first off that that's true anymore either. Um, but I would say to me, it, it's probably in the 10 range, but again, I'm really hesitant to throw an average at it because if you catch them at just the right time, you're in right. And, and off you go. Um, but we have a, folks who attend multiple webinars that we put on. They attend, they meet us at trade shows. They haven't necessarily bought anything, but then they get budget. And now that happens. they go from, well, you guys do cool stuff to, I want it. I want part of your cool stuff. Right. Right. No, because now they're bought in. Now they have the capacity Mm -hmm. for it. Um, So I'm trying to be sensitive to your time. And there's yet like another million questions I want to ask. So let me get into this topic real quick, because I think it's important. Where are you sitting right now on all the new AI tools in the toolbox and toys? I mean, you had to know we were going to go there. Um, Are you a fan? Are you leveraging it? Where's your thought process? Uh, It's funny. I just had this conversation uh, with a uh, person I'm uh, mentoring earlier this week. And she asked pretty much the same point blank question. And, you know, in what it was a January, February, if you were to read your LinkedIn feed and other journals, you're like, by August, we're all going to be out of jobs. ChatGP is going to fire us all and it's going to be over. Um and then people started using it with a, a little less care and feeding than perhaps they should have. And now the noise is kind of settled a bit mm-hmm. as we get into the summer. Um, I think there is a, a vital role to play for AI tools in marketing. I think we need to determine what that is. And I am 100% certain that there needs to be a smart experienced person with the hand on the till mm-hmm. to make sure that that's doing the, the right thing. I think there are some tasks that um, we can rely on those to do, but you know, the, the challenge that 
that we run into from a confidentiality standpoint, right? You throw th- something in chat GPT, it's now open source. So how much can you really, even for a sales email, right? right. How, how much do you want to put out there and have it do? And now it's available to anyone who searches tomorrow. So what are the guardrails we put around that to make sure we're the, our folks aren't inadvertently creating a risk for our business? How do we use it in such a way that it resonates best with um, our audiences, both external and internal? Um, right? You, there, there's a risk of creating a flight risk with your people. Like, oh, you're just going to replace me with an AI tool? Right. resumes are out. Um, so how do you make sure you manage that from an internal standpoint and a culture standpoint and make sure that you keep your good people and keep doing the right things? Um, and externally, making sure oh, that it's not just given the keys to the car and you just hit create this thing out for me and send it, that somebody is doing QA and reviewing and not doing, you know, not going to trial with a brief that had fake cases in it. Um, so the, I, I took a wait and see when all of this went crazy early in the year, because I've been around enough of this stuff mm-hmm. that I knew it was going to be everything. we got to do this. And it was going to tape, excuse me, taper. And, um, it will find a place just like all the new tools that come mm-hmm. out. There's a place and you'd be crazy not to use it. Um, we're looking at it from, from some of our content things. Are there ways we can use those tools to, um, reduce the time on some of the repetitive tasks to that piece? Um, and we will, and we will get there, but we're not, um, nobody's lassoing the, the horse and getting dragged along in our organization. And frankly, I don't know any of marketers who are. Um, in the B2B space, I don't talk to a lot of B2C marketers just because of where I, where I operate. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're naive if you don't think there's a place for it. Um, but I also think you have to create a place for it, not just say, oh, just bolt it on and we're good. Go. You have to, you have to be thoughtful, just like you would with anything else you do is be thoughtful about how you're going to use such things. I could not have ended it on a better note. We've interviewed a number of um, podcast guests who, much to Michael's chagrin, have all been really excited about AI and can't wait to get into it and hope it takes over the world soon. And that is a, a topic that makes him very uncomfortable and that is approach that makes him very uncomfortable. And so I think that your approach feels a little more secure to him. Right, Mike? Well, a couple of caveats. One... Um, I, I will say that I haven't really quiet during this podcast because this is like Jackie's Kool-Aid, by the way. She loves talking this stuff with you. She loves this kind of language. She loves, she's the marketer of our side. So she's all in, all in. I'm on the outside going, yeah, I know that's all important, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of in a different space. So if I got quiet, it wasn't for lack of interest. It's just, that's her wheelhouse. Secondly, with the um, with the uh, IT stuff, the um, AI stuff, we had a meeting with a client this morning and he said he was talking to his IT guy, which we happen to know. And he said he decided to stop worrying about retirement. And I said, why? He says, because I'm i pretty sure I won't need it with AI. And I'm like, what the hell? What do you know that I don't know? Terrified the hell out of me. I'm thinking about that all day long now. I cannot get out of my head. Yeah, it's, it, 
like it like i said it's i I call it the bright shiny thing syndrome right oh yeah Uh, we we love the bright shiny things so we go we go chasing after it and um now that in my 50s i don't have the energy to run that fast after something anyway so (laughs) um i know it's important i know it's going to be cool but i mean i'm old enough that the marketing i was doing when i started was mailing postcards so um so email was a new tool for us you're like wow you can send marketing emails and then you know digital advertising was super cool and then digital advertising with uh internal intent data was the the big thing and then a few years ago right dark funnel and and third-party intent tools got bolted onto it so there's always a new thing the world is constantly changing is you just got to use the new thing to the best benefit of your organization. Cause ultimately that's what I'm here for is I don't do this for my personal enjoyment. I love what I do and I enjoy it. But if what I do isn't benefiting the people who pay my check, then <laughs> I don't deserve to be doing it. Right. I, I I'm here to help the business advance and making good decisions to help the business advance. No, absolutely. Dan, if you're so open, uh, would you tell the people how they can reach out to you if they have questions or they want to um, chat uh, more? Should they reach out to you on LinkedIn, which is where I think I found you, or anywhere else? Where do you send them? Uh, LinkedIn is really good. I've uh, you know, I've, I've worked at a lot of companies now, so I have a fairly robust LinkedIn network. Um, and that my it's linkedin.com slash i n slash c daniel chamberlain that's my my first initial and my full name uh, so absolutely reach out there or and my actually all my contact information is on my profile so you can click on my contact info it'll give you my personal email address and drop me a note i i love talking marketing i love mentoring people i have um you know we didn't get into this but people are is 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 such a key part of marketing and such a key part of a professional services organization and um, without quality people doing what we need to do we can't i can't get what we need done and um so love to chat marketing love to talk about how i got where i got um over the last 30 years um if you haven't figured out i'm a talker so if you ask questions i'm I'm perfectly willing to talk if you want um, if you want to talk, if you want to, to run some things by me, I would love to hear it. That is awesome. I appreciate your generosity with us today and with the listeners uh, who I'm sure will be reaching out. Um, I think this is one of our bigger gets. I love the fact that um, one of the best B2B marketers in the world, Dan Chamberlain, was here with us today. Dan, thank you for your time and for everybody listening. Thank you for spending your time with us. And uh, y'all feel free to share this episode and reach out to Dan if you've got questions. Dan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it.